one thing with cancel culture is that whoever that is the mob, right, can feel that they're morally superior because they're going after somebody. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what is your true motive? Are you being a good person just because you're going after somebody that made a mistake? Or are you taking that reflection and working on your own self? Hello everyone and welcome back to That's What We Do and this is the podcast where we bring in people from different walks of life with different stories and we bring them we bring these stories to your awareness. Now, our guest today is Sky and Sky is essentially known as a graffiti hunter where she basically goes around take, taking pictures of graffitis uh, around uh, Malaysia or around KL in particular. And uh, we spoke to her particularly because well, for a few reasons actually she was the first guest that we brought into our uh, podcast show. And uh, one of the reasons why we brought her in is, well, for one, is because we don't really hear much about graffitis and we don't really, it's not really a thing. And, uh, you know, it seems to be a subculture that is only known to some people and not everyone in Malaysia in particular knows about what graffitis are. Uh, But also because uh, Sky actually has her own podcast and she's quite experienced with uh, podcasting as well. Now, uh, I'm going to pass on to my producers, Rishi and Ramsey, to perhaps uh, tell us a little bit more about this episode. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you, John, for putting us in the spot. <laughs> As for Sky's episode, I figured that you know, graffiti is something that is quite mysterious in its nature, although it has a very artistic elements to it. Mm-hmm. But you do see them almost in every corner in an urban street. And most of them, they have their own styles. Like they have each different styles to it and some of the names on it. And some has controversial messages mm-hmm. that even prompts the government to like whitewash them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's something that everybody sees, but nobody wants to talk about in, in some ways. Exactly. And I, and I think also in this episode, we cover a little bit about cancel culture as well. You know, how uh, certain people are being shut up for their opinions or their views. Uh, and this is done basically by a... You know, there's this whole uh, mobbing, you know, there's this like the whole mob comes after you and, and, and shuts you out. So I think I think that's pretty interesting as well. And we're going to cover that in this episode as well. Now, uh, yeah, Ramsey, what do you think? Yeah, actually, I think it's great. I mean, for me, graffiti hunting is something that I didn't know existed until I met Sky. So I never knew <laughs> there was such a thing as a graffiti hunter. And then I met Sky from uh, actually a, a thing that we all met up from the same place on Meetup. There's an app called Meetup. And uh, yeah, she taught me something about graffiti hunting. And this podcast, I, it was more of an educational lesson for myself personally, learning a lot about graffiti in general. And also, I did like the cancel culture part as well because I believe it happens a lot right now. And uh, I, I think it's to the point where it's uh, too extreme sometimes, the whole cancel culture, how you can just completely destroy somebody's career because you just sort of cancel them, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's appropriate, sometimes not so much, right? To the point where it's... Um, I don't know. It depends how you look at it, I guess. It's just too much sometimes. So I, I love the fact that she basically talked about that as well. And um, she gave her points of view to that. And I pretty much do share her sentiments on this, I would say. Mm-hmm. So it's quite a, it's quite an educational podcast episode, I would say, from Sky. So I would say, definitely say, if you don't know anything about graffiti hunting, this is the episode you want to listen to. You can learn a lot from Sky. She's one of the best when it comes to this. So yeah, back to you, Pinto. Right, and, and without further ado, I guess, well, here's the episode from Sky. Hi, Sky. Hey, what's up? I find it cool that you're called Sky. 
Yeah, this is a <laughs> self self name that I created for myself, lah. But obviously, in my workplace, I don't go by that name. I go wait. by my legal name. Wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. So, yeah. so Sky is not in your identity card. No, it's not in my identity card. Actually, this was supposed to be my graffiti artist name. Uh, I had ambitions to right. be, try to become a graffiti artist, but uh, that didn't go through. So I just stuck to the name. But uh, yeah, I just right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, so you you're not just a graffiti hunter, so to speak. You actually want to become a graffiti artist. You had that at ambition. One point, to... At mm-hmm. one point, yes. Uh, but I think uh, I don't have the discipline nor the uh, ethic work ethic to 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 really get into this and and I think put in the hours lah. So definitely, I think I just wanted to just be somebody that just appreciated what other people do and just like take photos of it, take videos of it, share it out and then that's about it lah. You know, instead of being like them that actually mm-hmm. create something, yeah, from scratch. So. Right, right. So, okay, okay. So basically you wanted to be a graffiti artist but then you realize that, you know, that's maybe not for you. And you call yourself a graffiti hunter. So like, you know, we were chatting a little bit before the show. Uh, what exactly does a graffiti hunter do? A uh, graffiti hunter is a, uh, I quite sort of coined that term. When you know, like, people call themselves like foodie, food hunters, right? They basically hunt for food. I hunt for street art. So graffiti hunters is basically like, I guess somebody that has been following graffiti artists and they know the locations of where they do a new piece. So they basically like go there, shoot the photo of them and the piece or maybe of the piece itself, or they just want to see the art in real life. And then they just post it online. So that's what I term like a graffiti hunter basically, lah, you know? Like somebody that's actively looking for graffiti or street art, yeah. Right. So would it be right to say that you sort of know all the locations that one could find a street art? Uh, technically in KL, yes. Uh, I've been searching for graffiti since about, I think, six to seven years ago. So hmm. when I first started out, actually, should I go into the whole story? Yeah, uh, yeah why not? <laughs> okay, cool, cool, cool. Let's go into it. Okay, so... I came across Grafty actually like last time a dude right brought me on a date to see Grafty at Riverbank, Central Market Riverbank Wall. So the place actually when you go down the ramp into the Riverbank Wall right, you mm-hmm. really have to watch out because there are all sorts of people loitering around the area. Yeah, that's a so scary we, little place. I, yeah. I know that place. Okay. I, yeah, I went on. there but then after that I was thinking maybe it's a bit dangerous. <laughs> I don't know but it was, it was just fun. Lah. So basically I went to that place and then we... we went down the ramp and, and started photographing like some graffiti stuff like that. And that was my first introduction. And then I realized like, wait a minute, like this place, like it, the riverbank wall that is like kind of smelly sometimes and nobody goes there mm-hmm. really. Like why mm-hmm. is it there's so much of incredible stuff that's beautiful there? Stuff that is, art, you know, artistically a lot of people, a lot of artists go there, they do their piece and then after that they leave and then that's it. You know, there's a lot of stuff there. So that was my first introduction to graffiti. So then I had this like obsession started where I was like, Maybe there are more locations. Maybe there are more artists. Let me go and find that out. So I went to this place from Central Market uh, Riverbank Wall to over at Datuk Kramat Riverbank Wall. So actually, I used the internet to find the locations. And I listed them down and I started going to each one of them. So my second location I went to was actually Datuk Kramat Riverbank Wall, where I came across my one graffiti piece, which you see behind mm-hmm. me on this like Zoom thingy. Right. Okay, yeah. so this is actually from Malaysia. Wow, it's from Malaysia is... by a Malaysian artist. His, uh, he tagged his Instagram account, Escape VA, to this mm-hmm. graffiti piece. So that was how I connected with him through Instagram. Well, so, it looks very, uh-huh. like, I don't know, it looks very, like, uh, I don't know, um, American, you know, those uh, Red Indian kind of uh, painting, right? It's very much Red Indian. 
Yeah, it's kind of influenced by that, I guess. But I guess he put his right. spin to it because he always like uses like mm-hmm. uh, I think skulls in his artwork sometimes. So yeah. Right, right. So Karamat, and then and then where? Yeah, through Karamat, and then after that, basically, I connected with him on Instagram. Then I, uh, I kind of like started infiltrating his Instagram like followers, and I realized that when you can track one graffiti artist, right? Usually they have friends that are in the, into that scene as well. So mm-hmm. it's like track that, and one of his circle, um, the girl, I think her brother was also a graffiti artist. He also compiled a book called Graffiti KL. Wow, there's, so there's actually a book yeah, there on is a graffiti. Book. There is a book on graffiti, but hold on. Um, the book about graffiti, right? They actually put the artist's name and the piece. They didn't actually put their Instagram handles. They didn't put their social media handles. They didn't put their website handles. So that was the only thing I could work on to sort of track all these people down. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, what I did was I used that book as a basis of how I track all these people down on the internet, webs, uh, internet, Facebook, and Instagram. But Escape VA was one of the artists that I met. Uh, he was quite like chill and quite welcoming. And I have seen him and his friends actually do a graffiti together. Like, mm-hmm. I think Tamam Malawati. Well, what's his name again? Escape, Escape VA. V- Escape VA. So Escape, it's Escape, Escape VA. VA. All right, yeah, cool, yeah, cool. Yeah. So um, then, start, then after that, I realized that once you can come across one artist and then you subsequently follow them, right? Usually they will have their own crew. Oh, that, that means it's like a group of people that do graffiti together and mm-hmm. maybe have similar styles or whatnot. They just hang out together and just paint together at certain locations. So basically, right. internet, my investigative skills, <laughs> Instagram, and you can find all of them. So that's how I've been like going to certain locations for the last like, six, seven years in KL alone. And I started to venture out into other countries as well. I think recent, like last two years ago, I was in Yogyakarta in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. So I was in Yogyakarta, Indonesia, and I realized that in the central part of where there was a roundabout, mm-hmm. there was a lot of street art, but it was very political in nature. So the first time I saw that, I was like, wow, you know, I, I think graffiti, like street art in different countries can vary according to the sentiment of the people, the artistic level, right. and also the openness of how they want to tackle political issues. Because you will never find a political street art piece in Malaysia, for sure. You right. know. So yeah. I, I want to I talk a little bit about the political aspect as well. And, and I think it's really interesting that you mentioned, you know, like um, those people who, who do street art, they don't really, they don't always at least reveal their identity, right? It's sort of like a semi-secret kind of thing, right? If I'm not mistaken, is that correct? Uh, yes and no. Okay, mm-hmm. for what you see, for example, this piece behind me, right? If it's graffiti on characters, mm-hmm. that means it's like, it's not lettering or it's not the artist's name, right? Then they probably, you might not be able to know who that is. But usually sometimes they put like a type below their name, like they write like, for example, like SKVA at the bottom of the piece, like very small letters, then you can try to find out who actually did it and then Google mm. online, try to find them out. Yeah, but, but even then, but even then... There, there is, really there then, is right? another, well, there is another form of graffiti as well called like, I think characters where they actually use their name. Um, for example, like this graffiti artist called Katun, right? K-A-T-U-N. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he would just do K-A-T-U-N in the most like different artistic style, wild style on the wall and then mm. he's actually revealing his artistic name there but it's just that whether it's easy or hard to read lah. because sometimes when they mm. do the graffiti name right it's a bit hard to read the lettering and all that so i'm like sometimes i get a headache when i try to like figure out like who's this new artist like right so the actual lettering yeah so you know you mentioned this cartoon guy because yeah. i was you know to be honest i'm not really into this i don't really know anything much yeah. about graffiti except yeah. you know for the except at the point when i started researching because of this um you know conversation that we're having yes so uh, this cartoon guy is one of those people who actually reveals his real name. I think the other guys I think also... actually, to be honest, mm-hmm. a lot of them, right, they have their artist's name. Their artist's mm-hmm. name is they... Whenever they go for graffiti events where they start to put on the wall, right, they actually do uh, uh, the artist's name in the most creative depiction. Mm-hmm. You will mm-hmm. not know who is the exact person because you have to, like, find out who that person is. 
So then mm. you you still have to use the internet. So sometimes you may not have seen the person before, but you know their name. For example, this guy Cloak, right? Mm-hmm. Is everybody has seen Cloak around like KL? This person right. is tagging Cloak everywhere. Like some people but also ask me, like, are you Cloak? I'm like, not Cloak. Cloak is a <laughs> Cloak is a guy I met him before. But because he has tagged his name so many places, right? And he has done multiple graffiti pieces in his own like design mm. and his own style. Therefore, like people tend to have that association that this person exists and right. they've seen his stuff everywhere. So now the question is, who is this person? Yeah. Right. So so like again again, it's it's a it's like what they put out there is like an alter ego or like a different yeah, identity. I, but what about the real person? Like let's say my name is John, right? Mm. And you know my real full name. Yeah. But if I become a graffiti artist, would I you know relate that that would would you that create artist name to my name or not? Would I, I think, actually? Yeah. I think the question is, if your artist name is John, right? Mm-hmm. Then you would know it's you lah. But if it's if no, I mean, I mean, can they relate my artist name to my real name, and can they actually find my actual identity? Like, okay, so this is me. I think, and I, I, I think it's possible. It's possible because I think Cloak has been featured. In, like, for example, people like Cloak have been featured in uh, interviews and articles, right? So mm. now I think the reason why you want people to find you, number one, is because of all the artistry. You are open now to things like commissions, uh, jobs, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it it is to your interest that people should know who is actually creating all the stuff. But obviously, you want your stuff. The, what you create, right, must be of a certain value to the audience for them to come and find you. So right, yes, right. I think I think people now are. It's no longer about like obscurity. I think I think there is ability to 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 do something artistic and and communicate that to the audience in a very mm-hmm. different way. So I think there is a reason for them to actually go public, lah. But the question is, I guess it depends on actually like where they do their art because when they do their art, right, sometimes they do it on the riverbank wall. Not many people can see it because you have to like scroll down the, r- the ramp and mm-hmm. go and see the wall. But if they take a photo of that riverbank wall piece that they created and then post it on IG, then now that's how you know that person. So right, that right. You're taking what you've done and you want to transmute it to as many people around the world because social media is like a billboard for free. Mm. So then people now have the means to contact you and you know, ask you whether you, they want to commission you for works and stuff like that. Lah. So that's about it. Yeah. Mm. So, so in a way, it's like, you know, it, it started out as something controversial and, and unacceptable to the public, but it is slowly becoming sort of like an industry. I think I would, this controversial, yes. Unacceptable, I would disagree with that because I think some people, mm. when, they, when I look at the graffiti artist interviews I've come across in KL, right? They understand the boundaries that you should not, there's rules within the graffiti culture that you should not tag a place of worship. You should not tag mm-hmm. a business place. You know, there's certain things you have to follow. If not, you get fined. The cops will come after you. You can't tag trains either. The KTM, KTM trains, LRT trains, right? You'll never see a graffiti tagging because I think like one graffiti artist told me that the fine for that is very, very severe. Not like US. Mm-hmm. US, mm-hmm. you see the graffiti trains. Like, if I go there, I think I just probably like ping sun because <laughs> it's so much graffiti everywhere. I just like dropped it there. So, right. so, so, so the rules not... are different according to different countries. Right. So, so they, basically, they don't break the law but they do it, uh, you know, they do have controversial messaging. Not really, actually. To be, This one depends. This one depends. Mm, mm-hmm. Depends because people of that, people who create art, right, kind of have to know they have to toe the line between what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. I think in Malaysia, you will never see political stuff. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You probably see stuff that's like, things like, that's beautiful or things like their graffiti artist name. Like, it's, it's totally, I think nobody would like, maybe people say whether it's really art mm-hmm. or not, that's debatable, but people wouldn't get super offended by it lah. Right, right. Well, I want to I want to get to that at some point, but I want to you know go back a little bit to your to your date with that graffiti guy, right? Your riverbank date. Yeah. So how did that go? Yeah. Like the, the guy literally brought you on a first date to like a yeah, place by the side of the river, <laughs> and, I know, and then like, you know. Yeah. So how did that go? 
the, uh, basically, I think I, I don't know, like, well, I, I've, I've lost communication with this person. Right, um, but I do. I do think <laughs> I would think you would have lost communication with. I've lost communication with this person, but I think that uh, um, I think the first thing that drew me to this question of why he took me to that place was like I noticed on his profile picture on the dating site, right? Was this mm-hmm. graphic piece? I was sitting in front of it, and I was like, okay, what's that? I've never seen that before. What's that? We started a conversation. Then we were like, then I was like, you know, I think about graffiti and going to places that has this like it's like an adventure. So this right. was something I never done before. So I was like, okay, let's. Go to this place, lah. Obviously, don't get so, robbed. So, so it was an adventurous thing for you, yeah, but was yeah, it, it was also a romantic thing or not? Did it ever stand a chance to become romantic? <sighs> or not? I don't know, man. Like, like I mean, I I credit the person to like to you not know, start the catalyst for me to ex- give me a new different experience, but I I wasn't dating guy any further. So I don't right. Know. So so basically, you did meet him on a dating site, but then the point was not really to date him. No, no. The but you was... see, like I think you have experiences with people, right? Some of the experience can be mm-hmm. fleeting. Like you meet them one time, like you may not date them further, but. But because of the interaction or whatnot, they maybe they expose you to an idea like a book, mm-hmm. a movie, or you know, right. in my case, right. experience. So that experience is like a like catalyst to go forward. So it depends mm-hmm. on like what you take from the experience as well. So for me, I took as experience as like I want to go all these crafty places. I'm going to use the internet to help me do that. Mm-hmm. In the past, you've been very difficult. I would really have to know someone in the scene to like know where they shoot, know, right. know where they shoot photos and videos. But because I have the internet now, now everything now is probably more accessible to me. So that was the fun part about mm-hmm. like the whole experience, yeah. Well, I, I just find it amusing that he would take you there on on a, you know like you know, you're talking about. I've I've seen I've seen that place. I've done the same other people, so but well, you know. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I've seen <laughs> that place. So so like you know, I I take the train to I think Masjid Jami, right? Or no, yeah. the the one after Masjid Jami, I can't remember Plaza Rayat or something, right? So so you know when when I walk down, I actually see all the art by the side of the river. But I never dared to actually go down and take a walk there because, like, there's always some guy sitting there, you know, some drug addict yeah, yeah. or you know, yeah, some yeah. it's really dodgy place. But he brought you there for a first date. I thought that was like, I know, I, I know. Place. At the time, no, but but you see, I think for me, right, like, um, uh, I felt like it was a calculated risk. Uh, like, let me put it there. But maybe also I was young and dumb, lah. You know, success <laughs> I was young and dumb, so you never know. But I I felt like like I was. I mean, when we went to the area, right, we were like keeping our eyes out. So in a sense, it was a little bit of adventure as well. But mm. also, obviously, like, you know, if anything were to go wrong or something halfway down the line, we see someone dodgy, right? We would just like say, we would just like abort the mission and just run. Mm-hmm. So that's that's like cool. So, so your fascination yeah. to do the art itself, like your fascination to actually draw, you know, you said you wanted to do At that, At one point, right? I try. So, so uh, as, was that before the date or after the date? After, after. Right. So everything so about graffiti is after. Yes, everything about graffiti was after that. So that was the catalyst point. I think my fascination to try to create graffiti was because I like creating something that other people can enjoy on the street, putting it there, mm-hmm. and it's a part of yourself that will last in a public space. Right. And yeah, so that was a fascination. But then I realized when I started to create, right, holding a spray can was very heavy. Then I was like, this is very difficult. Like, Because some of these graffiti artists, to get to this level where you create a lot of art, they spent 10, 20 years. So they, start, they started like the probably age of 13, 16, just put 10 years in, right? By the time you start to like get to very good level already, right? Then it's like you have put in all the work there. Well, yours truly decided to go via the other route, which is just capture beautiful things. Lah. And also like whenever there's graffiti events, I like to go and, and photograph them while they're doing the piece. Mm. Because I like to capture the essence of like someone creating something beautiful against something that will stay there for some time. And then I feel like it's a different experience for a viewer. Usually so in a way, would, yeah. In a way, is it right to say that you're living vicariously through the 
the person in, is in a way but I, I i think in a way but i think for me what i want to do is i want to appreciate the creator behind something beautiful i want to capture mm. that moment when someone is creating something because when usually people see graffiti pieces or like for example graffiti artists post on the instagram right they usually see the final product they didn't see the photos of not much photos of them creating the thing work in progress mm. kind of mode so for me it was like Number one, also I like that different aspect of photography, but also I wanted to be able to show like, okay, this person created something. So you seeing that that process that that's been captured in photo or video, and then you know that's how you see the final product. So, yeah, so that right. was my fascination. Cool. So basically, it's from from uh from you know dating this guy by the riverbank to the whole. Oh my god, it sounds so terrible. Being, being possessed. No, I think I think it's it's quite it's quite it's, an interesting. It's a fun trajectory. story. It's a fun story, but yeah. it's like now when I hear this, I'm like that was a bit dangerous actually. Well, you you gotta do something dangerous in your life, otherwise it's gonna be pretty boring. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's what I always think. So yeah, so, yeah. So I I want to go back to the controversial yeah. aspect of things okay. again. Okay. Because uh, you know, there's there is controversy when it comes to street art, and yes. okay, so for example, I was reading about this uh, this guy called Ernest Zakharovic. I don't know if I'm pronouncing Lithuanian artist. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So uh, he apparently went to Johor and he painted this painting of like you know um a Lego woman, a Lego woman carrying a I think Louis Vuitton bag or something, or is it a Chanel bag? I can't remember which brand it is. And then on the other side of the street corner, there was this other Lego guy with yeah. a knife, right? So yeah. the idea was that he is about to mug this woman, and 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 it was it was taken to be somewhat like a, a commentary on the city itself. So the Lego yeah. represents like you know Legoland in Johor, mm-hmm. and um, the idea of the the woman gonna uh, you know being mugged right is basically a, a representation of the high crime rate at the time in Johor. Yeah. So uh, that that was eventually you know it was whitewashed by the. Uh, by the city council because they thought that you know this is not a good representation of the city, and probably also for economic reasons, lah. Because you know how you 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 portray the city and stuff. He's basically you know? telling the place is not safe, but he's doing it artistic way with Lego. So people right, are like, right. The message so, is there, but I'm not putting it in words. You know, I'm putting it in a way that everybody that is cannot even read a book or mm-hmm. like sorry, not people who are not literate, they can even know what the message is. So it's like it's right. to as many audiences as you want. Yeah. So I I I saw it that way as well. I saw it as a very interesting way to portray a certain message, right? But at the same time, it was also controversial to certain parties, like you know, the authorities. Let's say it was I, kind of controversial, and they sort of you know painted over it. I think. So yeah, what do you think about it? I think the reason why people sometimes don't like certain pieces uh, is because it's actually the truth, because mm. someone has. Is able to uh metabolize a truth, right, or a idea or a sentence, turn it into something artistic, and let everybody else see what is their output in their mind. And because when it comes to art, right, you don't have to like, you know, and it's on the street itself. You don't have to go to art gallery to consume it. Anybody represent, irrespective of their social economic status, is mm. able to consume it easily. So there's a little bit of democracy when it comes to art. There, I think. I mean, what he he did was a commentary, lah. But I think the problem is that whoever the government is in the area, right, they will probably have their own say. So if they if their power is higher than yours as an artist, right, they probably said, okay, let's cover it up. Right. But that's fine. But the the thing with him is that what he could have done is that he could have taken a photo of that piece itself and uploaded it on his own Instagram. Now that opens hmm. it to the discussion to a wider audience, whoever that's consuming a piece of work on an Instagram account, and they say like, you know, what does this mean to you? Maybe some people that consume art would be like, okay, this is a Cool piece of art about like crime rate. Maybe they may not associate it to Johor. Mm. Maybe they'll be like, okay, this is uh this is a very interesting representation of how dangerous life is recently. They don't even represent, they don't even associate it to a location. 
So that piece of art that you create, right, is open for interpretation, not just the place you are. Because now you got the internet. So now mm, you well, can... Yeah, now you don't... Actually, you don't really need... You don't have to worry about someone actually, like, trying to shut you up by, like, covering your art. Actually, mm-hmm. what you do is, the moment you, you create something, you snap a photo of it, upload it on Instagram, doesn't matter if they actually whitewash it. Well, but, but, you know, quite honestly, I think that's already been done. Because yeah. although, although they whitewashed it, everybody knows it and it's online. Right, so everybody can see that picture. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I mean, on the one hand, yeah, there is this this element of you know democratizing art, let's say, and even even you know putting forward like what you said, the truth that people are afraid to admit, right, to, yeah. to some degree. Uh, and then and then there's the other element where you know, uh, well, there is a very political element where the people who are in power actually decides to to whitewash something or to 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 cancel something off, actually, let's say, for whatever reasons they have. Actually, if you think about it, the street art, the thing about uh, street art, you don't necessarily also need a person of higher power to whitewash it because if you think about it, if it's on the street, right, mm-hmm. any Tom, Dick and Harry, let's say in the evening, right, let's say 11pm, right, they can go to the same location and actually paint over it. So yeah, but, but they art, won't, right? I'm no, they actually they have, they have, they have. Oh, they have. Okay. In the street okay. art culture, right, there has been multiple times that some people have done graffiti in different locations. Some people with itchy fingers mm-hmm. started to mess up the art. They actually painted over it or they actually like uh, painted like curse words over it and they actually like mark disfigured it so I think the usual the usual thing about street art is that the moment you're in something that's public right the moment you paint you have no control about what people do to the painting itself mm. so if someone has itchy fingers started to paint over it then you have two choices either you repair the piece or you close your eye and, and curse the person out and then you go about your way so mm-hmm. there's never any true control over street art actually to be honest because anybody mm. It's on the wall. I can just go there and like at 11, 11 p.m. paint over it, and then who knows like who actually did it? You know what I mean? Hmm. So it's never but, that kind of thing there. Well, I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a difference when when like I, I make a street art and then you know some other street artists come and paint over it. Yeah, versus uh, the government, versus, versus it, right? the government doing it. I think in a way, yeah. like when a government does it, right? Maybe they're uh, what they're trying to send a message is that I don't like what you produce, so you have to stick within a certain boundary of what I think is appropriate. So the moment you touch anything political or it's like a criticism about the the environment around where we live, right? I can shut it down. Hmm. I, I I mean that's what I think is like, but but that's and, why. And I, what's your opinion on that? What's your opinion about street my, art as a means of opinion, political criticism? My opinion is, depending the country where you live in, people work mm-hmm. within the boundaries because they know in certain places that you live in, you will never have freedom of speech. That other countries right. uphold as their value in their society. So you will never have that. So the, the thing with them is that they are very pragmatic people. So they know like, okay, certain things I cannot touch, so I will not touch it. Because what benefit does it bring to me in the end? For me to be able to produce something that, mm-hmm. and also depends on what's your core value. Like if their core value is to create something beautiful, right? They don't, they don't necessarily have to talk about politics in their art. They can talk about something else and it still brings them value. But if they want to go the political route through their art, then yes, they'll go there. But I think they won't, wouldn't actually, to be honest. So basically you're saying art is not always uh, anti-establishment propaganda. No, it isn't. It, isn't. it depends right, right. on the graffiti artist because usually the pieces that you find in riverbank walls, right? They actually, from their own pocket, they actually buy materials to actually create the art. Mm-hmm. So it's back to what they want to, to express out. So in a, and I and I also think that they are quite smart in the sense that they understand the, the laws, they understand what are the rules they can ban and what they cannot ban. So when you work within the rules, right, then you realize that yes, your voice as artist is maybe con- constrained or whatnot. But then again, like if you can't go on the street, maybe you can go to other forums as well. So you have to like pick mm-hmm. your battles. So it's not and always about I think it's not always about how we want to like how we want to have that freedom of speech in other countries that may or may mm-hmm. not exist in whatever country you live in, to be honest. So it's like kind of working within the boundary a bit 
and also kind of understanding based on certain people that have went political in the art, right? What was the consequences to them? Because end of the day, whenever you produce something, you're, you're kind of responsible for the consequences. Right, so right. if you cannot absorb the consequences that is too drastic or too draconian by the government, whatever it is, right, you, wouldn't go, you mm. wouldn't go to that route in the first place because you know where it's going to lead you. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I just, I just wonder. Yeah, on the one hand, I, I understand that, you know, uh, most artists, they're not propagandists. Or they, they, don't, they don't really care about, you know, stuff like that. And what they're more concerned about is really about getting their art, their art across, right? Yeah, yeah. Essentially. But I also, I mean, it also seems to me like, even in terms of freedom of speech, you're right, some countries are more restrictive than others, right? But even in Malaysia, I, I see that there is sort of like a progression in terms of what we can say and what we cannot say. Because, you know, like 10, 20 years ago, things were slightly different than how they are now. And to me, it seems like people are getting a little bit more vocal than they used to be in the past. Mm-hmm. Right. So at least at least that's been my observation. Like you look at like, you know, uh, certain books that were published, let's say, or certain, um, you know, movements that that happened within our society, per se, you know, political or otherwise, they tend they t- there tends to be a little bit of pushing the boundaries, so to speak. And that yeah. is in a way, I would say, in a way, it's a good thing because uh, it's like you can't immediately get the same kind of freedom of speech as you would in perhaps another, let's say, another country altogether. But at the same time, you're actually slowly pushing that boundary. You know, it's, it's sort of like a slow growth. So I'm yeah. wondering if art plays a role, or street art in particular, plays a role in that process by slowly I, pushing it. That's a good question. I think end of the day, when it comes to street art, is about they're capturing the sentiment of the people at that time. Like, for example, but uh, at the same time, when it comes to political stuff, I doubt it will go that far because... For me, from what I observed in the last one year, right, d- due to the COVID pandemic, you started to see like there's grafty pieces talking about frontliners, talking about like, oh, keep like wear your mask and stuff like that. But you will never directly see any criticism against the government of the handling of the situation. So I mm. think even in that case, also people, uh, what artists do is that they take the temperature of the room or the environment at that time, then they metabolize it and then they use that in their art. But you, I, I, from what I see in Malaysia, I can't say about other countries, uh, like in KL only. Like they have never gone to the extent to actually look at the political aspect of that. It's always what's the current temperature right now? Like, okay, let me do something that's that's relevant to the environment. And then the average person on the street can appreciate it. Because when I look at art, right, I look at art as escapism. Or I think they might also look at art as escapism. So the last thing you want for your audience to do is when they look at it, they are like already stressed already. Lah. So when I, I I guess, or maybe that's my my impression, is that I guess maybe some people don't go the political route in their art is because they, they want they they what what is it that they want their audience to leave that that, that experience with? Is it about escapism? Mm. Is it about awareness? If there's awareness, yes, they would have gone into like in talking about politics and whatnot in their art. But if that's not the case, they wouldn't have touched that in the first place. Yeah, well, I, I understand what you mean by you know how yeah. the artists are sort of tempering the the line between um, representing the views of society per se. Yeah. Uh, together with you know, so there's a kind of a. Uh, uh, a balance with conformism. So there's a balance of criticism versus correct, conformism. Correct. But there, also, right? I, I also think the problem with street art is that when someone produces something, right, using their own resources, now they can dictate whatever they want to produce. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, it goes back to their own objective is what do I want out of it? So if someone is has this driving need to like have political awareness and being expressed to their art, they will have mm-hmm. done it already. But right. in this case, maybe they don't mm-hmm. have that interest or maybe they just want art to be escapism. So they provide things that mm-hmm. they feel is escapism when someone looks at it, they forget about the current situation. So they can lose themselves in the moment of something that's beautiful and they don't have to think about anything right. else. Well, which reminds me of like, I think one of the street arts that I, that I saw like 
a long, long time ago, uh, probably 10 years ago, I think. Uh, at, at the time, there was this whole reform RC thing happening, you know, when, uh, you know, Data Sri Anwar was, was put into prison and stuff. And I remember once passing by and I saw this, the words reform RC done in like a very street arty kind of style. That so that was quite a direct political hit. Oh, that was, I mean, uh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, this one, I, I, I think in you the You know past, the guy? <laughs> no, no, no. Hold on. I don't know the thing, but also I suspected in the case when, I don't, I don't know whether that, that wording can be associated with Shriya because, right, anybody can pick up, a, anybody can go in the store, buy a spray can and tag Reformasi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You don't necessarily be artistic. But, but, but it was artistic though. It wasn't just like a scribble. You have the photo the of it? I want to see it. I don't have a photo of it okay, right okay, now. Okay. I mean, like this is okay. like 10 years ago, like before yeah, yeah. I even knew you. No, but, I, but I think it's yeah, quite like you know, like 3D, 3D-ish. Oh, 3D-ish. Oh, do you yeah. mean there's a lot of effort behind the? Re- yeah, it wasn't like yeah. Someone put... it, it was very artistic. Okay, like, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. So, I... so there, there seems to be like I don't know. There, there seems to be. Perhaps you're right. It depends on the, the temperament or the the message or the you know the kind of person the artist is as well. But there seems to be like some kind of a political messaging every now and then, Or rather, at least in that one piece that I saw, lah. Which happens to be at that time in the history of Malaysia, where you know reformasi was a big buzzword. I, th- I think for me, so. it's very interesting because yes, one thing is that it, the way for us to kind of figure out like whether it's some random individual that did that piece or whether some artist decided to use their you know their time and their their resources just to create that was one thing. But mm. I also questioned the frequent no sorry the frequency of seeing this kind of political stuff emerge. If it's just right. a one and done piece at the side of the road, right? Then I'm like, okay lah, maybe it's like one person just wants to say something, but that it just got buried. It never got translated to anything further. Well, I, I've always been curious about, you know, the, the political aspect of art, particularly in Malaysia, because uh, there's a lot of Malaysian artists who... Okay, let's let's look at outside of street art, for instance. If you look at things like cartoons, like, you know, the work of Lat, let's say, yeah. which is very, very much political, right? Uh, and so so that's, that's one example. But, you know, I also frequent certain places like... Um, I, I like the artwork in, like... Um, I don't know if you know this cafe called Liberal Latte. I've not been so, there. Yeah, so, so there's this one cafe which is uh, which is quite known for organizing um, events. Actually, they're known for organizing events that are sort of um, intellectual or even you know, and sometimes even critical of of uh, certain stances. Let's say uh, you know, okay. but yeah. So so basically, I like some of the art in that place as well because it's sort of. Uh, represents some somewhat of an integration of uh, I, I find that there's a there's a kind of integration of of like local culture mm-hmm. with an attempt to want to be a little bit more uh, I wouldn't say liberal because I feel like liberal is a very bad buzzword it's been overused and you know hyperused sometimes but uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of like it, it's sort of like culture seeking a kind of freedom of expression at the same time. Right. So, and I see this in, in a few different places, and I wonder if this kind of thing is also there in the street art. Uh, I think if we world, talk about liberal latte, right? From mm. from what you said just now, that location seems to be like a coffee shop. So I think the yeah. art inside there could actually be in commission. So That's right. Something when it's commission, right? Sometimes you get the artist to actually be the be the one that actually executes, but the person mm-hmm. that's paying them is the one that also has that that authority or rather that direction I would say la. that kind of mm-hmm. depends so that, that what you see in that place right was kind of someone else's in, interpretation or, one, or wanting to say something they just got the artist there to execute mm-hmm. the vision but it's not it's not political though so like the things in liberal latte they're not really political oh, but okay. they're more of like uh, expressive sorry I need to uh, go and like 
like fa- like go to this Facebook yeah. cafe right now to like see what what they have there. Yeah. Anyway, they they're not really yeah. political. It's yeah. it's not and it's, the place itself is not known for its art. It just so happens that I I I know actually some of the people who produce the art there. It's not political, but it's more of a, it's more of identity like seeking. Com- is it like more, more like identity social- seeking kind of art? Huh. Sorry, you you really have to elaborate on this. Wait, hold on. Let me go into like Facebook. Facebook. So 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 it it is the kind of art that I feel. I don't know if you'd ever find it on Facebook, but okay. So so let's let's not talk about like one location per se. But I see this in quite a few areas as well. Yeah. And uh, for quite a few people doing this. So it's like uh, it's a kind of art that asks the question. You know, um, like let's say let's say I'm uh, uh, an Indian or a Malay, right? So, so it it's kind it's it kinds of fuses the question of identity. Like I am Malay, and therefore I dress in a certain way, or I'm Indian and I dress in a certain way, and so on. And then it sort of uh, challenges that a little bit. So I, I dress in this way, but why can't I also dress like this? Let's say. Oh, okay. So the yes, art gave that you that messaging. I mean, so yeah. in, a, in a way, the mm. art gave you that messaging as it it sort of prodded you to think deeper as to. Like what you see and then interpret it in your own lens. Yeah, to, to way, what extent does what you see define a person's identity? Maybe that's that's sort of like a question. Because I think art with art, right, produce. unless it's like super abstract, what you see sometimes is kind of direct what a person want to tell you. But then when mm. you consume it as a consumer, then you're then by your own experience, like what experience in your life like living Malaysia has taught you about so <laughs> Well, I guess, I guess you know so. I mean, like, I mean, yeah, I mean it's it like could... someone, someone could mm-hmm. have a very strong like messaging behind something, but the person mm-hmm. on the receiving end could interpret it multiple ways. So I right. think it, it could very well be it could very well be my interpretation of it. I don't know. Uh, someday perhaps you just look at it together. I'll show you like you, you know. If you have pictures. photos of you have photos, I think because I think it might be tricky mm. trying because I was actually mm. like going through the Facebook. I was like trying to do a quick like Facebook stop, but I couldn't find the. the yeah, yeah. So these people are yeah. not really uh, you know you, you won't really find them like okay. everywhere. So okay. like uh, the the people I speak of are like kind of obscure. <laughs> like after this, today, sounds, this sounds like an investigation for like Nancy, uh, like Sky, Sky the crafty uh, hunter. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could, you know, I could put you guys up together, yeah. like you and the person who actually paints some of these things that I talk okay. about. So yeah, uh, that aside, I want, I want to go back to the whole idea of uh, freedom of speech and then the old, the whole idea of cancelling, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, we've spoke of how like uh, Ernest Zakharovich's uh, painting. I don't know, you know, if I'm pronouncing his name right, but basically okay. his painting was whitewashed by the authorities. Right, so there is this element of uh, I find that what you're doing is is something that uh, is against. So the government finds that what you're doing is something that is inappropriate, and so they they sort of stop you by by whitewashing the stuff and cancelling the stuff, right? But there seems to be another kind of uh, cancelling going on in the world today as well, and this is not so much cancelling by the authorities, but it's rather cancelling by uh, a group of people who feel strongly about a certain subject, and so they cancel off other people, or even you know they they create they make an environment that is so I would say hostile to the other person so much so that that person is no longer able to express himself or herself in the public forum. So I'm talking about things like you know what is widely known of as cancel culture, yeah. right? So I've got two questions for you since you seem to be like the kind of person who goes around investigating stuff and all that. Uh, number one is that what is the uh, what is the prevalence or understanding? Or, you know, is it is cancel culture a thing in the art community, particularly in the street art community? And number two is like maybe what is your opinion about cancel culture as a whole? Cancel culture in the street art community, uh, from what I observe, is usually there's a lot of uh, support, but I think there are certain specific rules they have to live by. So, for example, let's say this graffiti artist, they actually created a new piece. The piece wasn't finished. 
but someone else painted over it without asking permission, or maybe that in the, I don't know, like the certain rules that they, they live by in street code and whatnot. Lah. So, so in certain things, I wouldn't call it like cancel, but someone painting over yourself is not cancelling, it's just maybe they didn't understand the, the rules of that subculture and then they, they infringe on it. And if they apologize, maybe they get forgiven. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's really cancelling. I think what I've seen so far is more actually support. Support in the sense that when when uh, people are inducted into this or they have interest in it, right? They are taken into grafty, uh, the, this grafty cruise like it's a family. So when people mm-hmm. bomb together, then they they go um they go grafty bombing together, right? They do the art pieces together in certain locations, or rather, when the, whenever there's a foreign that comes into town, they want to like hang out with the artists. They paint together, right? So it's, I see more of uh unity or rather acceptance rather than saying mm. that oh i don't like your piece of paint over yours you don't like my piece of paint over yours it's i i, I have never seen that exist. right right so so yeah. you need to say these guys actually have a, a community like they actually yeah they have a community the, the culture actually there's one thing in um the graffiti culture is called meeting of styles so mm. meeting of styles is like an event every country can have their own meeting of styles event so what happened is that it's an open event that they have in this public location then they they said okay we're having this event from this date to this date two days or three days basically they call all the people whoever wants to come and visit Malaysia during that time come like, sorry whoever wants to visit that location to go at that place right uh, uh, link up with the locals like register and all that and then we will uh, have the event and, and you know get to, to know each other mingle together you know have food like you know, take you around the, our city together so I think for me when I look at graffiti culture is that it's it's more of inclusion it's more of saying that you I may not know you but the fact that we both share the same hobby therefore I, I want to welcome you in my town and vice versa and then we're going to spend time together, paint together and like exchange ideas so what you see their expression right may be different because of the places they grew up in but I don't mm-hmm. I don't tend to see a lot of people like having like weird graffiti walls on the streets like, like I paint right. over your your piece, you paint over my piece, kind of like it's, it's ridiculous. Every everybody's entitled to their own like like opinion of what the piece is, and, and that is but allowed. Yeah. Be like, yeah, I mean that's fine. Because yeah. like you know, okay. I think the main thing for them is as long as you don't like hit places like places where she don't paint over, right? And mm-hmm. it's more like the graphic culture of the like the OGs or the ones that have been older in the scene. They kind of mm-hmm. teach the rules to the people that join them, so it's more like they induct you in and they tell you what is the rules that you can you know you, what what is the rules of that subculture and stuff, and then off you go. It's not about I don't like you, so I paint over your stuff. It's like it's mm. super juvenile. Because I think right. everybody, I mean everybody can have their space to express whether the person's great or not great, right? It takes a period of time for the person to develop their own style. Mm. So rather than uh rather than the attitude of being very uh as uh exclusive or rather very uh ivory tower-ish where you have your own thing and you eliminate all the newbies, right? I think it's more like they want people to join them, but also then for the person then to then develop their own style and then you know see whether they still want to join the graffiti crew as well. Right. So yeah. so you're saying that basically they are they're not just in a way they're not hypocrites or talking about freedom of speech, but then don't allow freedom of speech within themselves. They're actually quite okay with. I think it's not say about freedom of speech. Ideas. I think it's about what what from what I see is that uh this is their own community. Hmm. And they're all, they are united against DPKL. That's one thing for sure. La. <laughs> oh, tell me more I, about I, that. I, like, I, why why okay, against DPKL? I remember there was one incident, right? I was on Instagram, right? And then all the graffiti artists, like they, one of them actually posted on the IG stories. You know, this account, uh, IG account called DBKL, right? It's mm-hmm. actually following us. So the rest of them, everybody started checking the IG account. They're like, oh my God, DBKL is following us. And then they started to block this person and, and they're like freaking out. And I thought it was really funny because I felt like, you know, there's not much friction actually. To be honest, I think they are united right. against. Wait, like, so so how do they deal with that? So basically, they are against. They, uh, they saw this. DBKL, they saw right? this. They're not really. How, how do they deal? 
they're not really against, but they, it, it was just a funny thing. Like they were saying, like I, I, obviously they don't want to get into trouble in the authorities, hmm. so they thought like maybe this IG account was actually actual DBKL account, like you know trying to monitor them. And maybe so they it wasn't like, oh, actually the DBKL account. I have no idea until now. I think it was just like a random thing, lah. But what, right. from what the experience, what I realized is that they tend to be united over the fact that they want to just pay in anyway. Their their motives hmm. are pretty simple. It's not it's not about who's better or who's worse. It's more like I want to paint, I want to do my thing, and then. Like I just want to go ahead and do my thing and just meet people who have the same interests and then just have a good time and right. that's it. So if I'm hearing you correctly, that yeah. means that there is there is still sort of like a friction between like let's say uh, you know the government and the artist. So like let's say DBL. I, I, I fiction. Mm. I can't really say whether there is. I think from what I heard from my graphic friends is that certain areas you want to paint, right? You do at your own risk. If the right. cops find you, sometimes if they think what you're doing is beautiful, they're like, okay lah, why have a closer eye lah? Like you know. It's not mm. like they won't really like let you lock up lah. But if you start painting in places where it's not allowed, like a KTM train, LRT train, then sorry lah, <laughs> we find you slap you huge fight, then you know that, that's a law, you know, that's your problem. You didn't right. understand. So it's sort of like a grey area. Somewhat. Somewhat grey area, lah, I guess. Mm. But I think mm. the places where they choose to do like most of the crafty work, like riverbank walls, right? That's it's a public area, but not a lot of people is like, you know, going through it, passing it, or have any particular like huge comments about it. So it's like no big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what do you think about like again back to cancel culture again? What do you think mm-hmm. about cancel culture outside of the community in general? You know, generally speaking, when there I, is I, this whole thing where people you know cancel yeah. off other people that they don't agree with. I think cancel culture is something that is very tricky because you will not understand what cancelling means until you face it yourself. Um, mm. Maybe from what I see is that people, when people want to hold uh, certain views or like they say we should be less racist, right? So whenever someone said a comment that was racist or like whatnot, so you see what you generally see is the mob go after them. Mm-hmm. But then if you think about it, like let's say the, we cancel the person totally and let, let's say the person was like we, like removed from their job, you know, they started people started socially isolating them, right? So what you see is that human beings around them will, will use that example to tell themselves, uh, I don't have the freedom to express my view. Number one, number two, I have to toe the line. Number three, if I have said this, myself, I just don't open my mouth. I keep it to myself. Mm-hmm. So instead of your views getting uh, challenged by other people, where you have now the opportunity to receive more information, or like mm-hmm. people can recommend you resources, whatever for you to go and you know go on your journey and read and whatnot and educate yourself, right? Now people are becoming more isolated. So anything, it's not that we remove racism because we cancel people. It's right. It, you just make we, it go just, into hiding. Yeah, we made it go into hiding and people don't voice out their views or they know that now if I speak my own truth, my truth will, I mean, if they speak their own views, now someone else may come and cancel them because they think their view wasn't in compliance with some sort of certain standard. Now I noticed that certain standards now has started to increase like when people say like, okay, you shouldn't say this, you shouldn't say that. What you're doing is actually policing what people are doing. Mm-hmm. For me, I think it's not words one thing, but what is more important is actions. Right, so... If, so well, in a way, the, you're saying that policing doesn't really change hearts and minds. I, th- I think we should we should have standards in society, but mm-hmm. we shouldn't be having arbitrary witch hunts every single day for every single multiple reason for the most lowest of the lowest reason. Because the one thing is that if you look at people that are having these witch hunts, right? What is mm-hmm. their ultimate motive in life? Like, are they digging back someone else's tweets like ten years, twenty years ago? When the person was young and dumb, so they said a bunch of things, and then after that, 10, 20 years later, the person have changed. For example, Kevin Hart, maybe he said certain things like in the space of comedy or whatnot that you know p- people perceive now it was like maybe hateful. Hmm. But the person was a different person 10 or 20 years ago. My question is, why are people going back to a person's past to dig up dirt to then crucify somebody else with it? 
Like, don't mm. tell me nobody has ever made mistakes in their life where they were young and dumb and said a bunch of things, did a bunch of things, and now they regret it. I think what's important, I think, is that to have the dialogue, and mm. and it's okay to have dialogue because I think when whenever someone does something, people like a lot of people start to have a different opinion. It's more important to start the discussion that way. Maybe the person's view will change, maybe they won't. But at least we had a discussion. Mm-hmm. And, and it's than, sort of like self-correcting in a way, right? Because when you yourself. have the discussion, yeah, so it yeah. automatically self-corrects yeah. if you if you're really too off. Yeah, but I also right. think society functions in a way that uh, it's what we value, right? We will try to keep everybody in check. So, for example, we mm. we don't want things like murder, we don't want things like rape, we don't want things like pedophilia. So we are very very strong against those things. So mm-hmm. I think that is a good boundary that anything like super like sensitive stuff that people is very arbitrary and all that, right? Mm-hmm. If they start to impose a lot of this minor, they start to enrich all this minor arbitrary stuff and policing your, your language all the time, like you, you will, essentially what you get is that people will not voice their views. They will right. not say anything. So how can you then... So society becomes society, stagnant, basically. In a way, nobody's society, saying anything. Actually, mm-hmm. there's more fear. When there's more fear, I don't, if I don't trust anybody around me, Mm-hmm. When I open, whenever I open my mouth, right, I'm not, I'm not going to voice my views. So in a way, people start to view each other like, like you are my enemy now because you, what mm-hmm. I could say to you, you could potentially turn against me and do something to me. So that I think that that. So it's creating a more hateful and society. Distrustful society, yeah, yeah, yeah. Distrustful I mean, society, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think what is more important, I think, is that um, when people have made mistakes and people have like tried to um, educate them or or try to like uh, maybe show them the way, the fact mm-hmm. that. They were not cancelled but shown uh, grace or shown some sort of leeway. Depends on what the offences are. So that also makes them feel that I can make mistakes. Uh, but then as long as I can come to my own conclusion of what my mistakes are, right. deal with it internally myself. Not bow down just because the mob told me to bow down. If the mob told me to bow down to that mistake and they mm-hmm. said I should say sorry when I actually don't feel sorry about it, right? it doesn't mean anything. Right. So the person will just perpetuate their behavior. And, and I want to and I want to ask you yeah. this: like, do yeah. you feel like this is actually a problem in Asia, or particularly in Malaysia? Do you think like cancel culture is becoming an issue slowly uh, in 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 Malaysia? I can't really comment per se, but I think whatever happens in the West, right, will trickle down to Malaysia, hmm. because I think countries where we have the same language as the West, I mean, mm-hmm. sorry, not the West, like, not okay. Basically, countries that have similar language to each other, right? If we consume the entertainment, we consume the social media, anything that's happening in one part of the country will start to trickle down to other countries that same, share the same language. So mm-hmm. I think, yes, to a certain extent, what is happening in certain parts of the world, like in the, in the Western world, where cancel culture now can seem high, right? It's only going to trickle down into places where the language is there. I mean, language is similar. So I think it's still up to the people of the country to realize that, you know, yes, to some certain extent, we are influenced by what we consume based mm-hmm. off what other countries, just because of that similarity in the language. But then we still have to ask ourselves, like, is, are we just going to be copycats all the while? Or do we have that, that objectivity or awareness to start thinking maybe we shouldn't follow every single thing? Right. Yeah. right. So in, in other words, we need to, to define our grounds and sort of stand Yeah, we have to define our it. grounds. Because right. I think one thing with cancel culture is that whoever that is the mob, right, can feel that they're morally superior because they're going after somebody. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what is your true motive? Are you being a good person just because you're going after somebody that made a mistake? Or are you taking that reflection and working on your own self? Mm-hmm. So I think, I think it's much more productive for people to work on their own selves and, and, and improve as human beings. Because when you do that, you're going to impact the people around you. Mm-hmm. Impact like, maybe your family unit, your friends, your colleagues, and then like your social circle, and then your community. And that's how you, you create change. 
We don't yeah, well, having hands, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, quite, it's quite well said, you know, yeah. because I, I really don't feel like those people who, the, the mob, so to speak, I don't really think they want real change. I think what they really want is to assert their power. Agree, yeah, you? you know? Assert a dominance power, maybe they have anger, yeah. they are not able to channel the anger anyway, so it's going after the next available target that's flying on your screen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Right. So I want I want to go on to like one last bit because I think okay. we don't really have that much time. Yep. But I want to go on to to like uh, well I do understand that you also have podcasts. So you are you know I have a uh, podcast, but that's like MIA. Okay, fine. Uh, it's more like active. sort of in hiatus for the moment, right? But but it's gonna it's gonna come back, I believe. So I, I just want you to maybe maybe briefly. You don't need to talk very much about your podcast, but okay. maybe you could just tell people. Uh, where could they find your works, especially the one pertaining to street art, you know, your photos okay. and stuff okay. like that. Uh, uh, where, where can they find you and where can they, you know, contact you if necessary, let's say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I have one YouTube channel, Sokling Sky, S-O-K-L-I-N-G-S-K-Y-E. That's basically videos on street art, um, things like art galleries and stuff like that. I have an Instagram account, but that's kind of private for now but i'm not sure yet whether that'll be public um i have one podcast that's wait 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 wait, wait. it's private but you're not sure yet why it, that it would be public so what would <laughs> what do we need to do to make you be sure <laughs> so i need to go inside clean up some stuff first that i okay. yeah right got it uh, yeah. yeah um i don't know because the, the place has been like I, I don't know dumping around for a lot like writing and stuff like that so i need to like clean up do some damage control like remove some stuff there so yeah mm-hmm. uh i think i have a podcast at one point was uh, conversations with sky um the, the podcast was more mostly about talking about the books i read like things in personal development or rather like so, some things i come across when it comes to human behavior like for example robert green where mm-hmm. you know when you start to 42 un- rules or something is yeah it? F- f- 48, 48 laws of power is law, it 48? Of power. oh okay yeah 48 <laughs> laws of power like that book actually was recommended by a lot of people in the entertainment industry a lot of like they, it's like almost their Bible. Everybody in the entertainment industry keeps on commenting, like, say, read this book, read this book. Mm-hmm. So this book, actually, I felt was good in a way that it made me understand human nature, maybe myself better, and then how I, why other people react to certain things. Mm-hmm. So then it maybe gave me that sort of understanding as to even the topic of cancer culture is the why people do certain things. What is their motive? What, what do we, should we be doing if we actually want to create change? So I talk about the stuff I read. From these books on this podcast, basically, yeah, that's, that's cool. So yeah. basically, if we want to find you, we can find you on YouTube. Uh, that's what Sockling Sky, right? So and sense, then, yeah. yeah, and then we can also, uh, well, we might be able to find you on Instagram if you Perfect. decide to make it public. <laughs> <laughs> and we can also listen to your podcast, uh, Conversations yeah. with Sky. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I think I think that's cool. I think that's all the time we have for today. Yeah. Uh, thanks a lot for you know uh, being you. able to have this conversation with us. It's it's Thank amazing you. to have you. And that's it, folks. Thank you for tuning in to us. Um, See you in the next one. Bye-bye.